Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. We are in the Gospel of John for the fourth and final week of our Lenten series, and today we find ourselves in chapter 11. I will point out that if you'd like to go read the entire narrative on your own later, you can go read verses 1 through 45, but you'll see printed in your bulletin that we have a selection of verses today. So I invite you to listen for God's word to you right now in this moment in these verses from John 11. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The cycle of life fascinates me. That life can come after death is incredible. Death is hard and grief is real, and yet life continues and new life is born. We are in the season of Lent, and we began again this year with the words on Ash Wednesday reminding us of our own mortality. From dust you have come, and to dust you will return. We choose to use this time in reflection and seeking God. We make attempts to know Jesus more and to follow his way to the cross. And most of us know that good news is coming, that the ultimate story of new life is coming. But we aren't there just yet. My family and I live in a part of Dallas near stretches of fields on the side of the road where the blue bonnets pop up each spring. I'm amazed by these wildflowers that seem to grow on their own timeline each March and cover the grasses in the most striking shade of blue. Bees and butterflies play their part moving among the flowers. The blue bonnets only last a few weeks, and then they get swallowed up by the tall grasses or eventually mowed down. Other things grow and flourish in that same place, and then they die too, and the grass goes dormant for the winter, and we wait until the buds are ready to show their faces again. The cycle of life. There is a particular field on a hillside where we took our infant daughter four years ago to take her first picture in the blue bonnets. That year, the blue bonnets had taken over the field and went far beyond where I could easily see. Last year, I thought it would be neat to document the arrival of the blue bonnets. And so, as I noticed that they were beginning to sprout in different places around town, I got my phone's camera ready to take pictures. I wanted to capture the blue bonnets as they first appeared, and then as they somehow multiplied and grew thicker and taller. When I first noticed a few buds appear in late March, I took a picture in the same place three days in a row. Not much happened, but I was so ready to see the hillside burst with that gorgeous shade of blue. A week later, I took another picture, but it was about the same as it had been, just with more grass starting to grow. Another week later, I took a picture in the same spot again, only to have to admit defeat to myself that this particular section of grass on the hillside was not going to burst with bluebonnets this year. It was more barren than it was covered with bluebonnets, and that's the way it stayed in 2022. It made me kind of sad, but it was a stark reminder that I am not in control of life and death, 
and the way wildflowers grow. Today, we're back in the Gospel of John, but I want to go even further back for just a moment, many, many years earlier, when there was a prophet named Ezekiel, who was called mortal, or human one. The mortal and God had a relationship, and God wanted Ezekiel's help to reconnect and reconcile with God's people. Ezekiel was a prophet among a people living in exile who had wandered away from God and their faith. They had forgotten who God was. They did not know God. Through Ezekiel, God called the people to life, and over and over again, they instead chose death. In the book of Ezekiel, there is a determination in God, a deep desire for right relationship with God's people. As much as the people strayed, God would not let them go. So God meets up with the mortal one again and shows him a valley of dry bones, very dry bones. These were dead bones with no life at all. A pile of dry bones is what follows human suffering and death. It's a sign of life that is no longer there. Thinking about what makes up the Valley of Dry Bones, we can turn to a resource called the St. John's Bible, wherein there are illustrations to help us interpret the text. When I was first introduced to the St. John's Bible about nine years ago, I was struck by Donald Jackson's illustration on the pages telling the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. Among various human bones of all shapes and sizes, the illustration shows a number of skulls that seem to bear emotion. Piles of broken glass, piles of eyeglasses, and automobile hulls. In the book, The Art of the St. John's Bible, Susan Sink explains the images Jackson chose to illuminate human suffering. The skulls are based on photos taken of genocide and war in Armenia, Rwanda, Iraq, and Bosnia. The piles of broken glass suggest the broken windows caused by car bombs. At the center is a pile of eyeglasses a well-known image from the Holocaust. For Donald Jackson, the waste of ecological disaster is part of the larger image. The three automobile holes are one sign of the spiritual death of society. And I think it would be all too easy for us to add more recent images of genocide, violence, and devastation to this illustration. In my mind, I can place an image of charred bones wrapped in chains, recalling the victims of American white supremacy, the thousands of black people who were lynched in a campaign of racist terror. I can imagine piles of abandoned children's school books and learning materials, recalling the children in our country who died far too young as victims of gun violence. I can imagine a tattered and worn flag 
with faded stripes of light blue and light pink draped across the bones, highlighting the death of trans people in our country who have been denied value and human rights. My imagination could go on and on, but I'll stop there for now. Looking at the valley of dry bones, it is God who asks Ezekiel, mortal, can these bones live? Can these bones live? It is God's question. In the words of the Reverend Danielle Schroyer, this is a question not of probability, but of possibility. What God wants to know is, can you see past the rubbish, the damage, the crisis, the violence, the signs of decay? And can you imagine that life still lingers there? Do you dare to believe and even trust that the power of life does not ever go underground in such a way that God cannot revive it in glory? Schroyer continues, Many years later, Mary and Martha must answer this question in the face of two contradictory realities, their belief in Jesus and a brother who's been dead for four days. They understand enough to know that Jesus brings life. But now this question asks more of them. Do you have faith that life is possible always. In today's narrative from John, we hear both Mary and Martha say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This statement made by the sisters of Lazarus is both an affirmation of faith and a proclamation of blame. You have the power to heal, Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one to save us, the healer of all our ills. But our brother died because you were not here to stop it. There is deep grief, deep sorrow, sadness, anguish, pain, distress, and confusion. The text tells us that Jesus was also greatly disturbed. And in the English translation from the Greek, we read that Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Again, the English description may not capture fully the Greek word. The Greek may be closer to anger or even something stronger than anger like rage. Jesus is moved with anger in his spirit and deeply troubled. His body is reacting to his emotions. Deep in his gut, Jesus experiences this pain and anger and distress. And the text tells us, Jesus began to weep. Look at Jesus. Here is Jesus with the sisters he knew well and considered friends. Here is Jesus with the community surrounding them in their grief. Here is Jesus, fully divine and fully human. Here is Jesus, the divine healer, the one moved to tears with anguish and pain.
Here is Jesus fully present with all that he is. Here is Jesus with tears of compassion and love and rage. There is a need here, a need for healing, a need for things to be made right, a need for justice. Presbyterian pastor, the Reverend Scott Clark says, the need here is voiced in Martha and in Mary and in their community and in Jesus, in their bodies, in their flesh and bones, all of them together, voicing the deep hurt of this family and this community, the deep hurt of the world, the deep need for healing. Can these bones live? Do you have faith that life is possible always? In this season of Lent, we exist in the time before Easter. Reverend Schroyer asks, can we find hope and even faith when we are sitting in a valley of dry bones and literal death? Can we find hope? Can we imagine that life still lingers? Before his own death and resurrection can be made real, Jesus responds to Mary and Martha and the whole gathered community with his own love and his own sense of what is possible. He lived to show eternal life. He made real his words, I am the resurrection and the life. Life eternal is possible. Can these bones live? Can we find hope? Do we dare to practice hope? In her book, Hope, a User's Manual, the Reverend Marianne McKibben Dana dedicates a whole chapter to the practice of hope. But the entire book encourages us to both reflect on and practice hope in the midst of real life. All the chaos, confusion, devastation, and grief that real life holds. In a section called Moving Through It, McKibben Dana recounts the timing of her own father's death and how it collided with so many other important events in her life. The birth of her first child, graduation from seminary, selling one house, buying another, moving and starting her first ordained call. She writes, During dark nights of the soul, we are like the psalmist, waiting like those who watch for the morning. But the dawn doesn't come to us. Rather, we move into the dawn, simply by virtue of being on the revolving earth. The light is fixed. We are the ones who shift. No, time doesn't heal all wounds. But the practice of moving through leavens our experience with a lot of grace. Even if we do nothing, the ground under our feet is moving us, and there's little we need to do but pause. 
McKibben Dana goes on to talk about the ways we might engage in the practice of moving through rather than just gritting our teeth and getting through. She encourages us to reflect on what helps us move through. Is it some kind of physical exercise? Maybe tending a garden, calling a friend, taking action for others, or even dancing. Moving through needn't be dramatic, she writes. It can also be subtle. The return of the blue bonnets each year is a sign of resurrection for me. Last year, I was disappointed by the small number of blue bonnets in that one place where in previous years I had seen so many more. But I am reminded the blue bonnets don't grow in those fields at my control or direction. And I'm delighted to tell you that this year they are back. Not quite as many as I've once seen, but at least 20 or 30 times what I saw last year. And so I embrace hope that abundant life is here and is always coming. God will not give up on us. At the end of the passage in John 11, Jesus tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped up. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Jesus brought healing. Lazarus, unbound and freed, went back to the community and back to his family. His life was restored. He was unbound. In Christ, we too have been unbound and set free. What will we do with this freedom? Do you see the possibilities? I will dare to believe that even on this side of Easter, God is able to resurrect and bring new life. Resurrection is possible in our daily lives. We may have to move through grief, move through violence and trauma, devastation and uncertainty. But there is eternal life waiting to be born again. We have been unbound and set free. Jesus experienced very real grief after the death of Lazarus. And Jesus shows us what is possible. Will we dare to practice hope in these days we are living? Can these bones live? What is possible? May we continue seeking and look to God for the answers to be revealed in God's time. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always.
always. Amen.